everyone, welcome to the Desolation Sounds podcast. My name is Stephen Hook and this is a podcast celebrating everything to do within the worlds of alternative music, be that rock, punk, metal or extreme music. <clears throat> I'm already coughing. Coming up on this week's show, I'm fiddling around with the mic because my levels have gone really weird. I'm playing with volumes because people keep telling me I'm quiet, so if I'm really loud and up in your grill, I can't win really. Coming up this week's show... Uh, we've got news coming out of Mastodon Camp, as well as two new bands on the horizon, featuring members of, well, one consists of members of Judas Priest, Alice Cooper, Dia, the sort of like trad metal sort of thing, and another one was just a little, a little bit on the other side, featuring members of Napalm Death, Fujiera, and Megadeth. There's also a little bit of news I missed last week regarding Parkway Drive at Bloodstock, uh, there's new music from Periphery and the album reviews for this week come from Austria's Insanity Alert and Russia's Somn. Really hope I pronounced that right. And the open mic this week is Bloody Kisses by Typo Negative to get your goth freak on. But yeah, as with every week we're going to start off with the news and the bit of news I missed from last week, Parkway Drive have been announced as the third headline for Bloodstock. Uh, Bloodstock of course uh, going from the 8th of August to the 11th and there's been a lot of backlash to this because, for many different reasons, but the one I've seen a lot of is they're just not metal enough or they're just not bloodstocky enough. And your other headlines are Sabaton and Scorpions, for fuck's sake. So easily Parkway are heavier than those two bands. Like, without question. And it just strikes me as a bit bizarre that the. That's not a metal podcast. I've just been listening to it. They, get, they raise a really good point that they just don't fit some kind of aesthetic that Bloodstock have built up over the years. And that's fucking rubbish because the latest Parkway album, um, Reverence, has so much more like trad metal thingling going on compared to like previous albums. With Aya, it was a bit on the nose, but Reverence, no, it's very much a Bloodstock kind of album. So y'all can fuck off. I'm drinking juice this week instead of tea, so hopefully it'll be less slurpy. But we'll be clanging because I have a metal straw. Uh, but for this this week, Mastodon drummer Brian Daler says a new album is to be expected in 2020. In an interview with Kerrang, he says, I think next year will be smarter than this year on our part. We need to let people miss us, maybe. Which, you know, pretty fair. Um, it comes on the back of about, oh, it must be about a month ago now. Uh, members of Mastodon teased a super heavy new song was due and it's turned out that it was going to feature Scott Kelly from Neurosis which is sort of a Mastodon tradition I think he's been on pretty much every album actually he rears his beautiful little face somewhere Um, but the laws of time meant they couldn't finish it Um, they couldn't get the the song finished in time before they went back on tour so the song has been shelved. There's no new news considering or like referencing a new release date for the song. Um, but I imagine if and when that eventually does get released, that'll be the start of the next tease between the eventual album cycle, touring, etc. So new Mastodon on the way for 2020. And that's always fun news. There's two new bands. Again, it's always two at a time, isn't it? Uh, so first of all, we've got a new revenge, and it's a supergroup featuring uh, Tim Ripper Owens, formerly of Judas Priest. You've got Kerry Kelly, formerly of I think all, I think these are all formerly 
uh, Alice Cooper as Slasher Snake Pit. You got Rudy Sarzo, who's worked with Dio, Ozzy Osbourne, and White Snake, and you got James Kotak from Scorpions. They they've all released. They've already got a new song out and a new album, or announced an album, I should say. The album's called Enemies and Lovers, and they've got a full music video for the song The Way, and it is very, very 80s hard rock, um, which, far for the course, considering who's in it, excuse me, um, it's complete with, like, those happy little keyboards you get in the background, and so much fucking cowbell, it's fantastic. So yeah, A New Revenge, go check it out if that's sort of your thing. The other sort of band, or the other super group that's just been announced, is called Tronos, or Tronos, I'm gonna go with Tronos. Um, it features Shane Embry from Napalm Death, Bougieria, and literally 87 other bands because he is medically insane. Um, you've got Russ Russell, who is a producer who has worked with the likes of At The Gates and, again, Napalm Death. And you've got Dirk Van Buren, who I really hope I pronounced that name right. He is the current drummer for Megadeth and has formerly worked with Soilwork. Similarly to A New Revenge, they've got a new album release. It's called Celestial Mechanics. That is out the 12th of April. And it's also scheduled to feature guest appearances from Billy Gold of Faith No More, Troy Sanders of Mastodon, and Dan Lilka from Nuclear Assault, previously of Anthrax, I believe, back in the day. As well as Dennis Snake um, Belanger, Belanger, I'm going to go Belanger, from Voivod, and Erica Knuckles from The Wonder Stuff. Um, as well as that new album, they also have a single out called Birth Womb. And it's really quite spacey, quite groovy thrash metal, which is a weird way to describe something, but I'm sticking by it. So yeah, you got New Revenge with the album Enemies and Lovers, new song already out called The Way, 80s inspired keyboard rock. And you've got Tronos, which is more spacey, groovy thrash sort of stuff. And they've got an album, Slasher Mechanics, with the lead single called Birth Room. Both are available on various video and news-based websites around the world. I'm sure you can find it. Uh, apart from those two songs, the only other new music I seem to find this week, and I don't even know if I missed it from last week. I think it might have come up just on the Wednesday. Periphery have a new single out to promote the new album, Periphery 4 Hail Stan. Um, it's out April... Fifth, the album, they already got a new song out, it's called Blood Eagle, and my fucking word, is it, a, it's, it's a heavy boy, it is a sumo wrestler of a song. Uh, a friend of mine played at work, and we were both kind of taken aback, because he's a really big fan of, um, I guess the more melodic version of Periphery, where Spencer Saletto does like the more clean vocals, it's a bit more, I don't really know how to describe it, but you You've got like the two ends of periphery. You've got like more heavy stuff, which not quite blood eagle heavy, but yeah, a bit more like shouty stuff. And you've got the more like um, strictly there, more songy sort of music. I don't know what I'm saying, but yeah. And for him to hear this is like it's a bit of a shock. He didn't like it at first, and he's grown into it. I immediately really, really enjoyed it, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm gonna make this, excuse me, the first. Um, periphery album i'd probably go into because i've only really got like a greatest hits worth out of the previous three and the clear ep so yeah well no previous five because they did a double album didn't they the whole alpha and omega shtick but yeah that's all the news from this week it's again fairly quiet at the moment i don't know why i don't know where everyone's gone but oh well we should move Directly on to AM reviews then. We're going to start with Austria. 
of all places. Uh, the album is called 666 Pack, which already should give people an idea of what to expect. It's bummed the album Insanity Alert. Um, it's a third album. They are a crossover thrash band, and this album features 21 songs in just under, I think, around the 33-minute mark, which this is not quite like a Dream Theater tribute album. Um, but at the same time, it's not quite a grandcore album. There's still a surprising amount going on. Um, it starts to go, means to go on. There is just this eruption of noise that is just several hundreds of thousands of beer cans being open, and it's a fairly straightforward crossover instrumental open. That's Thirst Killer, um, and it goes into and I, a lot of that. A lot of this album is made up of that hardcore influence thrash sound, and you've got songs that do it really, really well. So. Thirst Killer goes in Body of the Cri Body of the Christ as a Parasite, which is a fucking great song. Um, you got Windmilly Vanilli, I come, I fuck shit up, I leave. The very like groove heavy hooks, um, and like the punk just really really shines through, and it bounces between that like really fast paced power chordy sections. And I don't really know how to describe them as someone who's not a guitar player, but the only way I can sort of describe it is like the little scaly bits, like bits that sounded awful if you are a, a musician never like your guitar sound like that but yeah the little like off note sort of stuff after the power chords i did probably got a word they're not quite hammer-ons a little bit they're a the bit after hammer-on or pull-off not only think of that they're, they're, they're a thing listen to the album you fucking find out what i'm all about um and something that really hit me especially on body of the crisis parasite is the vocalist which is legit heavy kevy fucking great he's dutch as well so you know he's good fun um he hits a line it hits a vocal line in time with the snare beat or snare hit and i don't know if it's just me but i find that really really satisfying just the do 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 again don't make your outbound sound like that and he hits a different word in the vocal line to go with that beat and yeah i i really really enjoyed that See, so like I said, you've got a lot of the like hardcorey, thrashy sounding stuff, and you've also got time where they do kind of slow it down a bit so they can be a bit more groovy. So you've got all emotional brain, a skull crushing good time. It's got a really like slow paced swagger about them. Still, we're not quite in doom metal territory, but you know you've got times just like the, the the slow windmill, the slow head bob kind of deal, you know. And sitting amongst all that, where you've got like you very fast-paced windmill crossover thrash a little bit slow more down swaggery groove metal belt parts you've got some moments in this album that are complete fucking insanity this album i it's rare this album because it's an album that doesn't like it take itself too seriously and it's it's fun it's so much fun it's a party album it's the sort of thing where you put on i feel like i'm doing it a disservice by like analyzing it and being really critiquey about it because there's a sort of album where you just have one in the background and just have fun to. You've got Saturday Grind Fever, which is a parody of the Bee Gees. You've got Stop Slammer Time, which is obviously MC Hammer. The Ballad of Slayer is that really, really like famous riff from like -na 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 of Brain and Blood that just goes with You're Dead at the end. It's seven seconds long. Seven seconds? Eight seconds? Where's it gone? Five seconds. Fuck me. 
If that's all it is, you're you're dead. And that's it. And then you've got 8-Bit Brutality, which is a 7-second song, and it is a thrash metal riff on, like, a a chiptune synthesizer with um, Heavy Kevy, still not over that, just barking over the top. You know, it's... They just haven't. The lads drinking beer, having having a good time. And there's nothing wrong with that. I wish I could go off and have a good time. But we all can't have nice things now, can we? Uh, so yeah, it's, a, it's an album I found to. It's not to be taken seriously. Um, there is kind of an outlier on this album, which I find super, super interesting. And I was... I had it on while I was taking a shower. And I had to physically, like, pop my head off underwater because it was just... Really, really took me by surprise. It's a song called uh, One, Eye Ki- One Eye is King in the Land of the Blind. It's a lot slower. It's way more Iron maiden particularly in the vocals, which for someone who's done like the like barky punk rocks kind of thing throughout the album, to go a lot but more, a little bit more high-pitched, but a lot cleaner. Uh, and the, you've got guitar harmonies that follow along with the vocals in the same way the drums did in Body of the Christ. And yeah, the outgoing chorus has um, Kevin, or Kevy, sorry, sorry man. It, it's super clean. It adds, they, between him and the other members of the band, they add like this vocal harmony layering. And at some point, I thought it was going to be more like power metal or folk metal. And it might just be me. It's a little experiment they just threw in there or just a chance for them to, I don't want to say serious song because that, again, disservice to this album, but yeah, I just felt like it was a really cool little little break in the album where they could flex what they can, what they can and can't do. So I'm intrigued to find out if anyone else picked up that or I'm just talking absolute bollocks. Uh, find out if you're a fan of this album. I think you will be because, again, it's just rock music to have fun to. Uh, akin to Municipal Waste. That's what, like, crossover. I think they're a little bit more... No, I'd say they're on, on par like the more thrashy side of crossover. Um, Stormtroopers of Death, if you want to go OG. And I've also compared them to The Hell, which is a British hardcore punk metalcore band. And I'm not saying they sound like um, Insanity Alert at all, but what I'm more going for is I've always wondered if you can class The Hell as a comedy band in the same vein as like Tenacious D or Steel Panther, because... They don't take themselves too seriously. They have a lot of, like, jokes. And their lyrical content is not like, you know, power metal where they're singing about kings and dragons or shit. They just go off, swear and shout and scream and then fuck off again. But that combination of, like, what's traditionally, like, quite serious music. So the heavy, the heavier end of, in the Hell's Case, metalcore with their, like, more comedic and less serious vocals if you like that juxtaposition where it is serious music and really like laid back comical lyrics that's what why i've compared them to the hell because it is whereas obviously insanity let do it with thrash um the hell do it with metalcore but those sorts of things a serious quote-unquote serious genre traditionally with more laid back vocals so yeah municipal waste stomp your chest and blah, blah, blah. i'm pretty sure I did not say what I was supposed to say, but Municipal Waste, Stormtroopers of Death, 
in terms of musically and lyrically, I'll go more with the hell for 666 pack by Insanity Alert. One day I will fully utilize the use of my tongue and be able to speak basic English. Whilst also drinking lemon juice. Cool. Moving on now to Russia, obviously. Uh, the album is called The All Devouring, which sounds absolutely metal as fuck. And the band is called Somn. S-M-O. No, that's wrong. S-O-M-N. Fucking hell. Um, it is a debut album from the Russian post-black metal album. My hat fell down. I'm curious to find out where the line between a band just full of other musicians and a supergroup is. Because... Somn is made up of members of Show Me a Dinosaur, Turner, Pwill, and Austin, which are all like prominent bands in the burgeoning St. Petersburg post-metal, post-black metal scene. And I've heard Show Me a Dinosaur and Turner before, and they're both very, very good bands. So to me, it's a very low-key supergroup because it is made... I, I'll happily say I can't speak for Pwill or Austin, but... For Turner and Show Me the Dinosaur, it kind of strikes me more like a really low-key supergroup because it is all around that hemisphere of um, that St. Petersburg metal scene I was talking about before. But either way, it's a collection of um, guys from those very different bands. And for black metal, post-black metal at the moment, we are in a weird phase where there's a lot of bands doing it, but not everyone is doing it well. And I concede that this might not sound like the most positive review to start with don't worry it does get better but i'm gonna go on a bit of a tangent i will come back i promise if you compared it to um semi-recent musical um what's the word i'm thinking of not a gimmick that's rude we'll go with phases because i can't think of the proper word i want to use and um, when you look at like musical phases um like gent or new metal like, compared to them you've already got the foundations of post-black metal made you've got death heaven you've got alcest you've got boss of denaga and similarly for gent you have periphery animals as leaders and textures whereas new metal you had corn lip biscuit and death tones you've got like the similarities there for a version new scene are there and then after the foundation has been made, you get a mad rush of a bunch of new bands trying to do this new cool thing. And the only ones who that survive are either the bands who do uh, expand out of that genre's shackles and do something interesting with it. Like how Tesseract added post-rock to Gen, um, Nimic added industrial metal and the algorithm Adam Dubstep. And for new metal, Slipknot added Groove. Um, as did Soulfly and then brought in some of those um, themes and musicianship from Sepultura to the new metal sound. And Evanescence added a huge goth rock influence to it as well. You get the ba those sort of bands who they've, took, they've taken what is new and fresh and interesting and then expanded it more to become even fresher, even newer and even more interesting. So you've got that side of things or you've got the side of things where bands will stick to the core principles of that scene or of that genre and just do it really really well 
So for Gent, I've looked at Vale of Maya, Born of Osiris, and Monuments. And for New Metal, I've looked at Disturbed, Papa Roach, and Lincoln Park. None of those bands really expanded outside the realms of their particular genre. But particularly for like the New Metal bands, they made it, they just did it really, really well and made something iconic. So they started off with like um, a quote-unquote one-hit wonder, then everyone went in and realised that the entire album was one-hit wonders, which makes a completely fucking great album. You know what I mean? Probably not, but here we go. To bring it back to the compar- comparing it to post-black metal, this is like the sort of thing we are now. We've got a lot of bands coming through who are doing things differently. So you've got um, Mirka adding more like folksy elements to it. Oathbreak, who've got that like history of Brit using crust punk and then people who are just doing things really really well you've got mull and you've got um harry curie for the sky they haven't expanded outside the genre brackets much but what they do 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 is really really fucking good so that leaves so that integrates with some where does that leave them well there's nothing insanely new from this album. I definitely think this is more a case of they are sticking to the roots and sticking to um, common characteristic common characteristics of the genre. I don't know why I really struggle to say that. I want to say carrots. Um, musically, this is everything you would ever expect from an album that's been labelled as a post-black metal album um, from for a post-black metal band. But by no means is this a post-black metal album to get lost in the mix and be amongst like who can I make fun of today Incubus or I don't know how Incubus made it big oh what was the one that used to get made fun of a lot either way they're not going to get lost in the mix of things they are this is as no thrills as it is to um post-black metal in terms of expanding it out what it does in terms of like the actual genre itself, they do very, very well. Um, and I think as well, there's no, no through approach works really well because it just barrages the listener with really, really strong soundscapes with some really, really good drum work and some really, really good vocal work, which I'll speak more about the vocals in a little bit. And um, for me, they've kind of taken more of a mole approach in that even when it's in the quote-unquote quieter sections, I think I only found one example where this like goes against it, but most of the time, they don't have just like one guitarist like heavily echoed or heavily reverb or just going about on his own. For the quiet bits, you will have that level of guitars like... But you've still got everyone else in the background doing their own little part to like really bring in that sound. And like, like I said, even when those moments exist where it's just the guitarist having a little to do by himself, they don't make up the whole song. They're very, very short segments, like a minute long at most, and they easily set up for the next part of the song. Tempest is undoubtedly the best part of this album, and it has it's one of the few examples I could find where it's just him isolated with a guitar. And then it just builds and builds and builds into this huge, like, next climax part. But with Tempest, it's so fucking good. The atmosphere of the song, the feeling of dread and stress made by that lead guitar 
as everyone else is going ham as like a traditional like black metal album whereas the guitarist I'm not quite sure who the lead is it's between I'm going to butcher some Russian names so get ready lads Artem Selyugin and Oleg Salnikov I think I did right with that actually fuck you guys I'm not quite sure who the lead guitarist is but between them adding that like juxtaposition between the two different playing really really just fucking grinds at you in a good way ah that grind was the wrong word it gets to you yeah we'll go with that there's a stop start riff around the 2 minute 40 mark where even like the backing uh, atmospherics if you will the backing effects stop so you're left with this like isolated bits of music where it's just like kind of like an an OG punk kind of riff like and you've got nothing going on in the background so for the split seconds you do have just about less than a second of silence and then when everything just goes it's just that those key parts of silence do more damage than like most black metal bands will get in like their lead riffs and overall it is a song that makes you that when you listen to it you will contemplate every life decision you have ever made and who doesn't want that because i know i've made some great decisions in the grand scheme of things, like i said it is very paint by numbers post back metal it is very good at what it does but it's like i said it's not going outside of what people already know from the genre i think one thing that will set it apart is the vocalist whom i believe is also the bassist uh oh there we go Mikhail Krochkin. I think I'm doing alright. I know I talked about the drum before, but I really don't want to try his last name. You. Yeah. Drummer, you've done a spectacularly good job, but I don't want to butcher your name the same way I've done your, lad, your other friends, so I'm really sorry. To me, um, Krochkin's vocals are more on par with a grind vocalist. The one that came to my mind the most was a gentleman called Duncan Wilkins. He is a lead singer of a band called Fuck Pig, who I'll admit, I haven't listened to that much. But he also was the lead vocalist in another Shane Embry uh, supergroup called Born to Murder the World, which is like a death metal grindcore sort of album, which is really, really good. Do go check that out. And that's where I've kind of got the comparison. It's a bit more snarly, I guess. Whereas I feel like black metal vocalists they do have they get the sunlight kind of going the more grunty death metal low end sort of stuff the high end shrieks all that weird like gurning vocal I think like I said I think this is more on par with like a grind esque vocalist but you know that was just me there's definitely enough here for people to enjoy if you are a fan of the post-punk metal scene in general i think you really really go in for this but as it stands at the moment as much as i did really enjoy um the old bowing i think there is still a danger that there's a chance they might get lost in the mix as they go down the line like fair as fuck there's bands who like all those like bands i mentioned earlier they will keep they will stay in the remnants of the genre and still be like household name bands because of how good each band is and uh, how how good each uh, how good each album is 
And fair fuck, Song could do the exact same thing. They could stay within the realms of post-black metal and just do it really, really good every single time. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened because, like I said, for a debut album, I know they've all got like history with other bands, but as a debut album, this is very, very good. And the fact it's called The Old Devourant is so fucking metal. But there is also a difficulty that they can get kind of lost in the post-black metal mix. Because at the moment, I feel like if you put this... And I'll have, I've talked about black metal before. I am a more casual listener of the genre. For me, if you... Without listening to it too much, obviously, I think I could do it now, maybe. But line up with a bunch of other um, post-black metal bands. Oh, God, post-black metal has become really difficult to say. It would become quite difficult to differentiate. That's just my take on it. I'd love to hear if anyone is more of an expert and like goes into this sort of thing more often i'd love to hear what your what your thoughts are in terms of differentiating it this has got a lot of good feedback online so it makes me more hopeful that they're not going to get like lost in the mix because if they can do this on the first album imagine what like two or even that that lustrous third album is going to sound like either either if they like stick to what they know or try and branch out i think it I'm hopeful that these guys are going to become really, really good and really, really prominent, and they deserve it. And I hope as well, like I said, this burgeoning like St. Petersburg metal scene, I really hope that people start becoming more aware of that because there's a lot of good music coming out of that area of the world at the moment. Um, so if you are, like I said, I've listened to Show Me a Dinosaur and Turn R before. If you have heard them before, I think you're really going for this. Um, I know Turn R doesn't have... Um, vocal so that might be a bit different for you i know there's some people who just prefer this style of music without the vocals which is fair enough um i think as well i've compared them to mole earlier with their approach to like heavy quieter parts so i think yeah if you were a fan of mole the album last year yord you're going for this and also if you're really a fan of so hideous i was kind of comparing them to so hideous and harry kiri for the sky harry kiri tend to use a bit more um synth and a bit more um like programming in it whereas i think so hideous a little bit more straightforward akin to mole so yeah that's why i think more so so hideous so yeah mole show me a dinosaur or turner so hideous if you like any of them go in for the old devouring by some out of russia and i really hope i've done that album a good service because i did really enjoy it but ah if nothing else, even if you are a casual fan of post-black like me, definitely go in for Tempest. It's a very, very good song. Now, I'm going to get myself a little bevy because coming up next is this week's open mic album and it is Bloody Kisses by Typo Negative. Because how else would you celebrate Valentine's Day without listening to a bunch of goth brood? So... Bloody Kisses was the third album from the Brooklyn-based band. They specialise... They get fronted as a gothic metal band, and my listens to Bloody Kisses and just the vague knowledge I have of Typo Negative, they are not just a straightforward gothic metal band. There's a lot of um, crossover thrash in there as well. And... So Bloody Kisses, like I said, album number three, it falls on from Slow Deep Hard in 1991. Um, the Origin of the Feces, which came out in 92, which was the original Goatsy album. Yeah, Bloody Kisses in 93. And at this point, they were made up of 
Um, lead singer, Peter Steele. Uh, guitarist, Kenny Hickey. Keyboardist, John, uh, John, Josh Silver. And drummer, Sal Abruscato. Who would make this his last type of negative album before going on to join Life of Agony. Which I'll talk about a little bit more later. So my... History with uh, typo negative is such. So, around gosh, I think it must have been around 2008 when I was about 14 years old, I discovered the Roadrunner United album. Which, for anyone who is unaware of what that is, Roadrunner, the like metal record label, who very very prominent, um, even now still, they celebrated 25 years of service basically and to celebrate this they got a collection of artists divided up and made four team captains and they were let's see if i can remember them all you had rob flynn from machine head matt heafy from trivium who as i was going back and like doing a bit more digging about this album matt heafy was fucking 19 when he made um the roadrunner united album and was working with some just incredible names I just jammy little bastard. Um, so yeah, Rob Flynn from Machine Head, Matt Heafy from Trivium. You had Joey Jordison then of Slipknot. He also worked in Murder Dolls, as well as Dino Cazares of Fear Factory. So the idea was each team captain would write and record a song with an engineer. I can't remember the four engineers that were um, assigned to the album. And yeah, bring in a collection of artists from various different Roadrunner bands. And it eventually made an album, and eventually made a DVD, and the whole thing was fucking incredible. And it was a hugely important album for me, because I know I said before where Manowar were the first band to really get me into, like, niche ends of metal. The various styles and what ha what's going on in this album completely changed how I listen to music and what I listen to. There's, in Metal Hammer Magazine, there's always a section where they interview a musician, and one of the questions they get asked is, um, if a kid asked, kid walked up to you and asked you, what was heavy metal, what would you give them? And usually they get given, like, an Iron Maiden or a Kiss album, something like that. I would honestly give them the Roadrunner United album, because with metal being so expansive now, there's so many different genres and subgenres, and I feel like just me talking on this show... And even by my own admissions, I'm a huge genre Nazi. So everything's got to have like a place and a be filed away somewhere. When I do the puppy album next week, I'm going to have an awful time because it doesn't really fit anyone. It's going to be fucking insane. Either way, Roadrunner United album introduced me to so many different types of music and so many different types of heavy metal music. So yeah, really, really important to me. And to come back to Typo, there's a song in it called Enemy of the State. Uh, it's comprised of Peter Steele from Typo on vocals and on keyboards. You've got Steve Holt from 36 Creativists on guitars. Josh Silver from uh, Typo, also on keyboards. Dave Pibus, then of Cradle of Filth on bass. And Joey Jordison, team captain on drums. And personally, this was one of the weaker songs for me because... Being 14, 15, I want everything to be fast and explosive and energetic. So I was like already looking kind of into punk rock at that point. 
and this combined with the Mikkel Ackerfeld song, which I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. It was just, they were slow, they were dark, gloomy, it just wasn't for me. And then, bearing in mind, the Roadrunner United album came out in 2005. I listened to it around about 2008, 2009. And eventually I found out there was a DVD, which was essentially a great hit of Roadrunner live. So they did songs from the United album. They, on the night they also covered um, Dayside, Fear Factory, Killswitch Engage, Trivium, Annihilator, uh, King Diamond... And Brian Fair from Shadows 4 came on to do a song and then promptly fell off the stage because he was absolutely pissed as a fart. It was all great fun. And one of the songs that they covered was Black Number 1. The, uh, I would say, archetypal typo song. So you had Vilvio, then of him, or Vilvalo, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name. Vilvalo on vocals from him. Andreas Kisser from Sepultura on lead guitar. Dino from Fear Factor and Rhythm. Nadja Poulin from... I really can't pronounce that right because I've put a lot of emphasis on the P. Um, Nadja from Cold Chamber on bass, Joey on drums, and then on keyboards uh, was Rob Caggiano of Anthrax and Volbeat. Well, then Anthrax, now Volbeat, I should say. And I was completely fucking leveled by this song. I thought it was the doomiest, scariest shit. Bear in mind, this is this live show had Glenn Benton from Dayside do... I think it was Dead by Dawn. And he had this big, like... Oh, I don't know how to describe it. It was just this war armour featuring, like, a leather mask that covered his face. And even the guys on the... Because there's a little documentary goes the album. Like he, they came out and saw it and they fucking shit themselves because he looks... There's a man who's got a cross burned into his forehead and said, when he hits 40, he's going to kill himself because what's the point? And that is not the most leveling part of this album. It's easily this performance of Black Number One. And a lot of it was down to Bill's um, execution because as much as... I've, I don't know if he's done anything since leaving or since him broke up, but... Valo, Vil Valo is a fucking phenomenal vocalist. Um, but the first thing I want to do was go out and find the actual song. And so from there, well, I, I found um, the track list to Best of Typo Negative, which is a 2006 compilation album. And so I just thought, oh, I'll just get the song separately because I like it when all the albums album artwork all links up and all that sort of shit and stuff I'm to reorganize and so doing that I end up finding a full 11 minute version of black number one which is the album version and I listened to the songs from the greatest hits or songs that would go into the greatest hits and I completely fell in love with just those songs for whatever reason I think because of my youth or whatever I just never re really went into them properly And I never, from there, I never quite understood why so many people went so gung-ho over Typo Negative until 2010, when Peter Steele unfortunately passed away. And literally on the internet for about two or three days after his passing, no one could talk about anything else apart from how good and how influential Peter Steele and Typo Negative was. So... 
There was always a sense I want to go back and try and investigate for myself, but for whatever reason, she never really did it. So I figured this like open mic sort of thing is a really good way for me to go back and listen to old classic albums for the very first time, as well as re like reintegrate myself with albums that kind of brought me to where I am now. So hence why we're here with Bloody Kisses, stuck it on, and I like to listen to my albums quite a lot connected to Bluetooth speakers. So with me working shift work, my housemates do work doing nine to five, they go away, I stay at home, I listen to music on the Bluetooth head Bluetooth speakers, sorry. And I'm really glad they weren't home because I did not know this album starts with a woman moaning. That'll teach me. That'll teach me good to not to just a maybe for a first listen of the album, maybe on the old on the old headphones or just do a bit of research or know what I'm getting into. Any of these things really. Cause yeah, I had to I, I I'm a very bashful man, I guess you could say. So I just sort of skimped over that for the first time I listened to it because yeah, kinda took by surprise. So from there it goes into Christian Woman, which is another one of like the big typo songs. Um and in it he's Peter still has got such a dark and such a romantic voice. Um it kind of strikes me as I've realised now I've got Billy Vio spelled with an I now, whereas before it's spelled with an L. So I might be calling him Valo before. It's probably not right. The bloke from him. Peter Still's vo um, voice is kind of like a meeting between Ville from him and Till Lindemann from Rammstein. That sort of really dark, broody, but really over pronunciation of lyrics and words. And the haunting like vocal melody or vocal harmony sorry over the top of the choruses it just sets the mood so well and so early on to this album this is track two admittedly it's nine minutes long but you're, that's the mood that you've got for the rest of the album and you know as a man who likes to be sad a lot it was fine by me the second part of the song because um, I think it's the, the song Christian Woman is divided into like three parts. The second part um, still sounds a lot more delicate, uh, especially alongside uh, quite a simple drum beat and an acoustic guitar. It sounds a lot bit more, a lot bit more, yes. A lot more reserved and just, like I said, very sensitive and very delicate. And then I've just described the final part as quintessentially 90s because for me, the guitar sound sits right up there with the likes of Zach Wilde and Dimebag Daryl and I don't know what it is again not a guitarist I couldn't really put it on but there's just tuning and the effects on the guitar and whatever it just sounds it, it is a 90s metal sounding guitar and it is and it's and it great and for me although this isn't the typo negative song and uh, for me it's Black Number One which I'll get to in just a sec but although this isn't the the one typo song that I immediately come like jump to think of it describes everything you need to know about typo negative as a band there are religious jives and religious anecdotes throughout the entire thing it's a haunting um, pairing between Peter Steele's vocal work and the synth in the background it is all weaponized eyeliner because it's so fucking goth and there are so much 
fucking sex on this album. It is unreal. I read through the lyrics to Christian Woman at one point and it got steamy. It did get steamy. Um, so after Christian Woman, you go into the the song for me and the song that really, really, really got me noticed. Well, got me noticing type of negative. Black number one, Lit Mascara. And just the intro where it's that. Really slow, really rhythmic, almost, I think it's like quite a muted bass sound. I was completely mesmerized when I was watching that Roadrunner United album version and watching Nadia just play it. I was just transfixed by it all. And like the, the like kind of tinny synths in the background feel like they come straight out of some B-horror from the 70s. And that's an absolute great thing. Just, just FYI. In the grand scheme of things, when you compare it to everything else on the album, it sounds so fucking... It fits. It just fits. So well. Um, and then you've got Steele's really low-end, really precise vocal delivery. And when he says milk, milk white neck, just... Even now, kind of gives me little shivers up and down my spine. It just... On headphones, it's, it, he is just there. He is all up in you saying milk white neck and it is just great and terrifying in equal measures eventually the like the whole song it just all explodes and you realize steel is not just the low-end danzig-esque vocalist he can absolutely nail the more abrasive stove as well and the album's crossover crossover side of it starts to like peek its way through and he does like a little trade-off with guitarist Kenny Hickey and they it like goes into the chorus where you've got like Hickey singing the lead and it sounds really really good to go from I know I just said where Pete um, Steele can do those like rough edge things but the trade-off between the vocal style between that low end clean and this like not quite high end but more like we could all reach those notes instead of not many people can hit the low notes that Pete Steele could I don't think um, but yeah, that trade-off was fucking great. The whole song is in itself about Steele's narcissistic girlfriend, which is like I was saying last week about like um, King Eight, uh, excuse me, King Eight One Zero and Bring Me Horizon. There's like if you want to sing a song about some like an album about something, you've got so many things to work around, especially like like love and death and whatever. It is really terrifying that on the basis of that. Like, this is an, it's a song about love. There's been thousands, millions of songs about love. Why is this one different? There's a line in it, loving you is like loving the dead. It was like fucking the dead. That is a really off-kilter way of singing about love and relationships, which not many people do. And imagine being that girl and hearing that line. Oofed. Um... The rest of the song continues in the structure of adding uh, a crunch and a layer of aggression to the gothic metal. Um, traditionally, sub a genre that's a bit more subdued, a lot more atmospheric, and which I'll go into a little bit more detail in a bit. But yeah, it was. I imagine for the time, because obviously this was '93. This album came out, so it was just on the back of the '70s and '80s like gothic boom, I guess. And 
yeah, you've got like what you think you know about Gotham Metal, then this comes in, it just completely changes everything. Um, having said that, if you want to go any further with the crossover side of things, you need to look no further than uh, Kill All White People, which is a great, great song for, for giant white dudes to sing about. It is a doomy, it's a song with a doomy center, a doomy core. But with a lo-fi, hardcore start and finish. And it this continues the du- juxtaposition between gothic music and hardcore music. It's like the Joy Divisions, the Cures, the Hymns, the Bauhaus bands of the world versus things like Madball, Biohazard, Suicidal Tendencies. That like 80s hardcore, like 80s New York hardcore, boom. Pretty sure Suicide Tendencies aren't in New York, and I think I might have just made a very big faux pas, but never mind. Moving on to, like, again, it goes the other way again. Set Me on Fire is a musically, it sounds like a 60s, like, free love, psychedelia song, everything's cool and red, yeah, and I promise I'll never do that again. But then it's got this, like, dark gothic ambiance to it, and with a set of lyrics to match because as much as it is like free spirit do 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 the lyrics are set me on fire which you know probably not the best um then it goes into um from there it eventually leads into we hate everyone which is another the next song for this like steel hickey trade-off and it really is like the tale of two genres. You've got the conflicting vocal styles for conflicting genres, the Peter Steele goth and the Kenny Hickey thrash. And all the while, it still remains punk as fuck. And it's just got this like banging vocal of "We don't care what you do." The it's similar to how Killer White People is, where it is the if this were a donut. The doom metal would be the jam, and the baked good part, the cake, if you will, would be this hardcore crossover punk. You are here for top quality metaphors here. And during this segment where it's the the donutty crossover thrash part, um, Abruscato, I know it's going to fuck his name up, Abruscato's um, drumming sounds fucking spectacular really really dirty double kick bass um in the bit in the song previously like kill all white people it's full on like d-beat sounding at times and as much as i've gone on about like the gothicnessnessness <clears throat> it is nothing compared to uh bloody kisses a death in the family it literally sounds like the soundtrack to some kind of fu- funeral procession and it kind of is like it's an 11 minute mournful opus about the loss of peter Steele's cat his cat died he loved that cat this is a song he wrote wrote about it and at that point i kind of got why so many people loved peter Steele. because as much as typo negative love to have those little jokes and they've got very crass very dark um sense of humor he can at times like he wrote an 11 minute song about his cat dying like bet who else could do that and it's not just that the song is fucking great you know and 
as I was getting further along the album, and as I was like going into it a bit more critiquedly, I'm sure that's word. You do get the sense of like why this album and this band are known for how they are because they are just the best of what they do. And from Bloody Kisses, it go eventually leads into um, Too Late, um, Too Late Frozen, which I'm not quite sure why is a colon. I don't know how you separate a colon when you're talking about it. Now you do it in like written down, but is it a, do you? Leave a gap, or you know, too late. Frozen is the closest the album gets to a full thrash gothic crossover. Whereas before it was, let's have a thrash part, let's have a gothic part, let's have a thrash part. There's a lot more, like they, like a lot more mixture. So you've got up tempo riffs, you've got um, like more shouty gang sections in the chorus, and then you've got like it compare that to like the cowl that you get throughout the song as well and there's like a really spacey vocal effect on the opening verses so i think yeah as much as they get labeled as a gothic metal band that has a crossover thrash influence i think this is the song where you can say they sort of really do blend those styles of music together and then the ending song of uh can't lose can't lose you is a very sitar heavy ender and it's a beautiful way to end the album it is easily the most delicate moment on the entire album i know what i said about his vocal line in christian woman earlier but this is just ornate glasswork in the grand scheme of things steel's crooning going all the way through the melancholia and it starts to feel like you're just in the middle of a trip based on like the instrumentation or and like the chanting there's a shop in Lincoln called Salamander, which is, I don't know how to describe it. I think every city has one. It is the shop that sells henna, um, those um, like flags that white girls like to put on their uni dorms. that has got like, all the different tie-dye colors and pagan markings on it. They have no idea what it means. Um, and it's just... You can smell it from a mile away because all they do is just burn incense. That that it's that kind of shop. You know what I mean? Every like I said, every city's got one, and this is a song that would play there all the time because it's just got that right kind of vibe to it. And as I was saying before, this did so much to gothic music, and it added a whole new edge and a whole new um what's the word? This danger to the genre after it like it had that like seventies eighties boom, but it just just fell off the earth a bit. To now, to, and now it's this band from Brooklyn has completely revived it. Bloody Kisses would end up becoming the first album released on Roadrun Records to achieve gold and platinum certification. That's how good this became. And following on from Bloody Kisses, as I said before. Um, Sal Abrascato decided to leave Typo shortly after the album was released. He went on to join a New York alt metal band, Life of Agony, of which the band's still going. Abrascato isn't with the band anymore. Gets out of the board in a bit. Um, the rest of the band would enlist, well, uh, Johnny Kelly, who was the band's former drum tech, he would replace Abrascato. And between Kelly, Steele, Hickey, and Josh Silver, they would release... Um, 
October Rust in 1996. Uh, World Coming Down in 1999. Life is Killing Me in 2003. And Dead Again in 2007. The band would break up in 2010 following the death of Peter Steele. He died the 14th of April 2010 uh, of an aortic aneurysm. He was only 48 years old. And it's an unfair way to die is an unfair age to die and considering at the time Steele had gone through a lot of tragedy in his personal life and he was from I remember reading at the time he had just not recovered but he had kind of got a fix on things and he had really done a lot to try and move past all of that and to move past everything he went through and he was in a good part of his life to then be taken the way he did was a complete travesty um and there was never a debate for the band as to whether or not to continue uh, johnny kelly would state in an interview that even if there even if someone sorry even if there was someone to who could take his place it wouldn't matter we don't have any interest in continuing it's impossible it hasn't even come up in any kind of discussion. When Peter died, typo negative died with him, which I think is a very typo negative response to everything that's happened. I think Peter still would be very happy with not just what the band did, but the how Kelly worded it. And yeah, it's a tragic shame. But that's not to say that the rest of the band aren't still making music, because they absolutely are. Um, as I said a couple of times, Sal Abruscato, um has played on and off with Life and Agony into 2017. And he currently fronts a pale horse named Death, which also includes um, Johnny Kelly. Now, Johnny Kelly, obviously type of negative drummer. I've lost where I am. There we are. Um, type of negative drummer. He also formed... Seventh Void with Kenny Hickey. Kelly and Hickey have done a lot of projects together, so this is going to get very confusing very quickly, but I'll do my best. So, Johnny Kelly formed Seventh Void with guitarist Kenny Hickey. They ended up splitting up the band in 2017, uh, and Kelly currently plays with Danzig in his um, vocal, uh, not vocal, solo band. Kill Devil Hill with Rex Brown, formerly Pantera. And more recently, again with Kenny Hickey, he's formed the band Silvertoon. Now, Silvertoon remains uh, Hickey's sole active project. And alongside himself and Johnny Kelly, he's also got um, Joseph James from Agnostic Front. Seventh Void alumni Hank Hill. Hank Hell, sorry. And you've got um, the keyboarders from Imperion called Aaron Jews. And so, yeah. Kelly and Hickey have worked a lot, um, worked together a lot over the past, well, ever since the breakup of uh, Typo Negative. And now they are starting to work again with Sal in his new venture. Keyboardist Josh Silver, following the dissolution of Typo, decided to pursue a career as a paramedic. So he hasn't, as far as I'm aware, he hasn't released anything new or being part of a new band since the breakup which is again absolutely fair enough um if like you have interest in going into type of negative in the same way i did and it's a case of just finding out how good they were if you are a fan, I, it 
Typo remain one of those bands. I feel it's a disservice to say they're fans of because I feel like if you're fans of of any of the bands I'm about to list, then it's mad that you haven't already been at least aware of Typo Negative previously. But I found I was comparing them a lot to Danzig, and I think that's a lot of it down to the kind of vocal line, very deep, very powerful voice. Um, a pale horse named Death, which is the like I said, it's a new doom metal. I guess you can call it a supergroup. It features um, Abruscato and now um, Johnny Kelly. I'm going to quickly see who else is in that band. Because I'm pretty sure it is like a who's who of members. That is the wrong button. Or it could be, could be completely wrong and I don't recognise any of his names. I'm going to be quiet. Also, you featured members of Seventh Void as well. So is it very much a... I guess you could call it like an in-group sort of thing. You know what I mean? So yeah, Danzig, A Pale Horse Named Death. Also, Woods of Your Prayers, which is another deep, very emotive, very depressing doom metal outfit, um, which, again, unfortunately features a vocalist who passed away in his prime. If you've somehow glossed over Typo, I know I did, and gone into any of those other bands, I do think you it'd be worth you going back to look at Bloody Kisses because... It is a just fantastic album. It's so, so goth as fuck. And that will leave us with this week. And it's kind of a somber note, actually. I don't like it when it ends sad. But there we go. Uh, next week, I will definitely be looking at the new album from Saw, which is a folk metal-inspired post-black metal album, which everything I just said about Som, in terms of if it's... Um, different if it's good if it's going to get lost I'm going to see where it fits in with all of that also the new album from Puppy which I've been listening to a lot recently and there's th I'm not going to spoil it but I have opinions and they might be big and you should probably tune in next week to listen to them and I th I feel like I've already set it up I have I remember what the question is now on Friday Saturday I think I set it up for there'll be a next question for um the big question, which will be on next week, and I, I can I can already tell you what it is now. Um, around about the time next week's episodes get released, we will be, I think, two days away, or a few days away from this year's Academy Awards, the Oscars. And Bohemian Rhapsody has got a lot of nominations, rightfully so. It was a very, very good um, film, very, very informative and very, very interesting. And my question that will be going out on uh, online in a few days will be what artist or what band, doesn't necessarily have to be in the words of alternative music, but what artist or band would you like to see get the Bohemian Rhapsody treatment? And that is a full in-depth look at a key member of the band. So most likely will be the front man, but it can be obviously the guitarist or whatever. Um, also, that would also give a very in-depth look at the iconic album in the same way they did um, Night of the Opera in Bohemian Rhapsody and yeah just like a general look about the life of a particular musician so that'll be going up on oh, I feel like I've said it Friday at some point this weekend it'll be going up and I'd love to hear what you guys think I know I have my own opinions but I'd like to juxtapose them with yours so until next week like I said Saw Puppy Behaving absolute treatment. That's all coming up next week. And until then, I will see you then. Goodbye.